From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is a podcast of KZYX's local coronavirus update for Friday, November 6th, 2020. With Ukiah ER doctor, Dr. Drew Colfax and Alicia Bales. Since the pandemic began, Dr. Colfax has done regular live updates for KZYX listeners on the latest news and numbers and answered questions from callers. We have Dr. Corin. Welcome. Good afternoon. And Becky Emery, DOC manager. Thank you for being here. Always full of good information and the latest numbers. All right. Welcome. Um, so we just heard your county briefing and it was really, really full of information. Um, I, I think after all of these weeks or months, uh, we hear these briefings and we, uh, a lot of it kind of maybe goes by. We don't realize how kind of monumental some of this stuff is, but today's briefing had a lot of really important information in it. So I'd like to just um, invite you to, can we do a, a quick summary of sort of some of the bullet points? Um, and then I'll, I have a couple of questions for you myself and then we'll open up the phone lines. I'll try. I'm not that great at bullets, but now that I've now that I've really sold it to as monumental. Yeah, really. So let's just start off. The total numbers are up in our county to uh, 1,213. Uh, Latinx community is 758, which is still at 62 percent. Um, we have hospitalized from our county three people. Two of them are in the county, and one is out of the county. Uh, we still have only, uh, and I shouldn't say only because these are all important souls, but 21 people have uh, died from COVID from our community. Our case rate is 6.71 per day. That's a seven-day average with a seven-day lag. Uh, and the test positivity rate is seven, 3.7%. Um, and both of these numbers are creeping up uh, from what they had been in the last few weeks. We are still in the red tier substantial, uh, which means there are some uh, uh, businesses that have been able to open, and uh, nursing homes are planning for uh, in-person visitation. But there is cold weather coming. People are going to be indoors. Nationally, uh, the numbers are surging over 100,000 cases per day. Uh, That's a 50% breaking records nationally every day, it sounds like. 50% increase over 14 days. And uh, the uh, number of deaths per day, again, in the nation has gone up 15%. Uh, So we're definitely having a surge, and we're seeing it in Southern California now with other local counties also feeling it, but less so. And uh, we really don't want it to move to Mendocino. Uh, So my advice is to try and maintain your vigilance, use the masks, distance, uh, one of the new things that's being uh, pushed, it's its not new, but it's definitely found to be very important, is as much time outside, windows open as possible, that ventilation really dissipates the viruses that are hanging in the air. So add that uh, mask up and keep your distance and keep your hands clean and, you know, all those good things. Now it's ventilate or be outside as much as you can to prevent this virus from spreading. So I'll stop with my bullet points there. Okay, thank you. Well done. uh, You can lead the conversation or ask other people to ask me questions. Okay, Um, so the things that I found monumental, why don't I kind of explain myself there? Um, One is that uh, you have an outbreak at Juvenile Hall. Um, That kind of hit me, uh, knowing that there is at least one juvenile in Juvenile Hall who is positive for COVID and five staff members now. 
Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Well, of course, you want to protect the identity of the minor. And so I'm not going to, I'm going to try and avoid that as much as possible. Um, this is a person who is transported into our state from another place uh, where it's most probable uh, that the virus was caught. And the two guards that were transporting uh, were the first people who became symptomatic and tested positive. And then this um, uh, young person was tested and found positive. We did all of the outbreak testing yesterday record time, and the other uh, three cases were were identified. Uh, all those people who are positive are in isolation. Uh, their close contacts have been notified to be under quarantine, and we are continuing to pursue this. We have uh, communicated with the other state uh, and uh, notified them of this problem and, you know, the fact that it probably came from their state. Right, from another uh, juvenile facility. But it was important to make that connections right. so that they're aware have you and we've been have in you close discovered con- which state have you discovered which state she came from yeah but it's probably better not to to say which state okay okay um and we have been in close contact with our california department of public health uh to get the best advice on how to manage this outbreak especially since it's a conjugate living situation there are young people involved um, and uh, all of the worries that we have for the rest of the community in terms of unintended consequences uh, for mental health uh, are there in, in that facility, and it's got to be a very important concern. Uh, so we're taking that into consideration. All right, so I'm, I'm thinking that when you talk about mental health concerns, you're talking about isolating a, a teenager uh, for two weeks in some in right. in kind of a, a jail like situation. So essentially putting her in um, um, solitary confinement for two weeks. So that's what ordinarily you would think. But having talked with the uh, uh, the uh, people who run the jail and talking with the California Department of Public Health um, expert who has dealt with COVID and in uh, uh, prison situations. Uh, we've come up with what we think are pretty pretty good solutions. And uh, so there will be a lot more outside time for all of them, and including the person who's in isolation. Um, people who are um, all close contacts, as long as they're not symptomatic and don't turn out positive, uh, can have some common time together, which is good. Still want to have them distanced and wearing masks. Um, but uh, we're going to try and make it as as livable a time as possible. I mean, nobody likes quarantine or isolation, and certainly no child. And uh, yes, it could be a bad situation, and we're going to try and make it livable. So is the child, uh, the young person who's in isolation, what, what measures are you taking to ensure her mental health? Well, there are going to be more visits from mental health workers. Um, uh, the person can go out to the yard uh, on a regular basis and uh, and can do other things in the room, uh, in their room. And th- luckily, we have a juvenile hall that has individual rooms. So it's not like jail cells, to my understanding. Um, 
And I would add, it's not just mental health workers, it's support workers. It's, you know, we want to make sure that this youth has all of the supports that they need. Uh, and the reason I say that is because I don't want to, I don't want to lead to some misbelief that this may be a youth with mental health issues. This is about supporting this youth and making sure that we have all of the supports in place for all of our youth that are in this situation, be it in quarantine or in isolation. Uh, and so that means that we are having regular contacts and evaluation and talking with them to make sure that their well-being is being met uh, through those efforts. Okay. Um, great. Thank you for that. Um, is there, are there any cases of COVID uh, in the jail at this time? No, not that we're aware of. Okay, so it's in it's in the juvenile facility. How many kids are in juvenile hall right now? I believe it's a total of seven. Seven. Okay, so one of them is in isolation, and the rest of them are in quarantine, kind of as in a bubble. Kind of in a bubble. <laughs> okay, and if and they're being tested regularly to make sure that if one of them becomes positive, yes. they, they'll also be isolated. Yes. And, okay. Um, I have a teenager, so I'm, I'm like, but do they have access to their device? I, you know, I don't know. That would see. I don't know if that would be a punishment or a help. But um, anyway, uh, the other thing that uh, that I was uh, finding pretty important about the briefing that you gave was um, trying to clarify what had happened with the UCSF testing and and that okay. conversation. Um, there's uh, we have seen a, a a letter from the UCSF lab uh, and from the state that seemed to seem to offer options for continuing with the UCSF testing, although not free. Uh, and so I was just wondering uh, why you opted to go with the OptumServe direction um, and, and how, the, how the clinics uh, and the relationship with the clinics and the clinics sort of uh, phenomenal relationship with their communities, particularly the Latinx community and these uh, generational connections that these clinics have built. It seems like that is a resource that you really uh, that, that gives you a lot of power in fighting f fighting the pandemic. So um, why would you or did you kind of opt for OptumServe rather than than continuing that relationship with the clinics? And correct me if I have it wrong. It, yeah, well, first of all, we want to connect and improve our connection with the clinics. We have deep respect for their deep relationship to their communities, and this is not about cutting them off in any way, shape, or form. The problem is UCSF would have cost 100, 100 bucks or so a pop. That's not something the county can afford, and it's not something that the clinics could afford. So we embarked on finding another solution because another solution presented itself. The state has uh, developed another program, which is through OptumServe, which we've known at the, at the uh, fairgrounds, but it's combined with a much more efficient, dedicated lab um, uh, called Perkin Elmer that's been around in, in other states. It's a, it's a large lab system, uh, but this will be dedicated to doing our COVID testing. The turnaround time is going to be between one and two days, so it's much faster than Quest, and it's not likely to have the downtimes when Quest is overwhelmed with other tests uh, or they have problems with uh, supplies. Uh, this program uh, has another company involved besides OptumServe and besides um, uh, Perkin Elmer, which is an essential thing, which is producing the supplies, and that's Color Lab. And so they produce the supplies, and the, uh, the lab is done at Perkin Elmer, and there are several good options for 
us to cooperate with OptumServe uh, in ways that, that they're doing the logistics. And so we've chosen to keep the OptumServe that we have at the fairgrounds because it's working. And in fact, we've, uh, uh, we've exceeded the numbers that we had before this time. I mean, and, and the new contract, assuming we get it, uh, and we think we will, will, will be an increase in the numbers of tests we can produce each day, we can do each day. So we want to keep that because it's been successful. But obviously, we have a big gap in a big county yeah. uh, all the way around. For the outlying and areas so, for folks who can't get to Ukiah. So we're looking at other options using this program. Uh, and because the program is free, I mean, I, I don't know how long it'll be free, but at this point, it's free. And what the state has told us is that uh, they will share the cost of it as time goes on. Um, so it seemed like uh, that would be good from an economic point of view and from a testing point of view. And the question is logistics. So the next things we had to sort through were, well, what are the best programs that fit our county? And so we did want to be able to do it in the way far out places of the county. And um, so we've applied for a, uh, and we don't know if we have these yet. So let's not get our, our hopes pinned on them. But um, we've, we've applied for a traveling team that could go around to other places in the county. And um, there is another service that when they first told us about this and gave us 20, 48 hours to respond, it looked like a much more rigid program that we probably couldn't afford. It was too many people. They would, too many tests they would dump at once and we couldn't deal with it. They've much uh, adjusted that so we can work with our community partners and, uh, and resume the kind of service that they have had before from UCSF and perhaps better. And so that's what we're hoping to do. Okay, accomplish. so if I understand you correctly, what you're, what you're envisioning, and we'll see if, it, if these grants get approved or if these, uh, these proposals get approved, is that OptumServe in Ukiah stays and maybe expands its, potent, your, its capacity a little bit. Uh, you yeah. have applied to get this kind of mobile testing unit that's going to go to the outlying areas um, and you're trying to uh, get your hands on testing equivalent to but free of the UCSF testing that the clinics will continue to be able to do like Anderson Valley Health Center is doing the drive-through testing on Thursday mornings and Mendocino Coast Clinics is offering testing uh, on the coast and so that those programs are going to continue to be available to Mendocino County residents that's our plan and when would that be? We're hoping for. What's your timeline on that? Is that November sixteenth? Well, we're putting we're putting our application in today. Uh, they are hopefully get back to us. I would say by the middle of next week. For which and one? They, for which program? Well, to let us know what's been approved. Okay, so for all so maybe all for three. all three programs. Got it. But that's getting back to us, yes or no. And then we're hoping, and I think that what I've heard on the phone calls with them is that they're really going to expedite starting things up potentially. And I don't know if it's going to be in our county or if this will really work, but potentially the following week. I don't want to make promises again, but that's the brush stroke about what we've heard about this system. Remember, it's getting off the ground really fast and it's new Definitely. and it was very new for us, but we're trying to make it work. And UCSF, that contract is over November 15th. 
So if this new round of programs doesn't get in place by the 16th, we will have a gap in surveillance testing. But OptumServe and Ukiah will continue to function as usual. All right. Thank you for that. And apologies to those folks who are listening who just listen to us get way out in the weeds. But I, I've just been, you know, very concerned about the access to surveillance testing like like many of us, because uh, it looks like the pressure, the numbers are historically off the charts nationwide that we've had this kind of reprieve and gotten into the red tier from the purple tier. Our, our numbers have gone down, but we had 20 cases yesterday and there's no guarantee that our cases aren't going to go right back up like the rest of the country and it really matters that we have testing here in order to make sure that you know we have a fighting chance of of not having a having a you know impossible surge here so thank you for explaining that let's go ahead and open up the phone calls i feel like uh, we've taken plenty of time chatting here and let's open up the phone calls for listeners at 707-895-2448 what are your questions about what's happening with the county's coronavirus response and we have our first call good afternoon caller thanks for your patience and you are live on the air thank you um I have a question for Dr. Corin. Yep, he's live with you. Um, okay. Um, I had a question about uh, virus load, and I realized um, I've heard that certain people have had a high virus load and it was more deadly. And I was wondering, I know that the virus reproduces once it's in the body. It replicates itself. But it, does virus load mean how much you're exposed to from from um, a person with COVID initially when you get sick, or is it how much your body, the virus reproduces in your body? That's a good question. You know, if you're exposed uh, to a a bad environment, let's say with people in there who have have the, uh, uh, the COVID, and they're not wearing masks, and it's a closed, small space. I was using earlier the example of um, sharing a taxi in the city uh, with windows closed and nobody's got masks. That's a potential mm-hmm. for a very high infection. The virus also, of course, to do its damage, multiplies within the body. So if it starts out with a high load, then it'll increase the, the viral uh, population inside the body that much faster. I don't know if you cook bread, but if you use yeast in the bread and you use your tablespoon, it's going to rise at some level. If you use two tablespoons, it's going to rise at another, you know, at another speed. Um, and they're and they're different. So one of the concerns or one of the issues around that is when is it possible uh, to test and find a positive test? So the tests have their limits. And if the virus, if the testing is done early in the course of the infection, then the load may not be high enough to get a sample that's going to turn the test positive. So that's one of the reasons. And and the other thing is, is that you may not have symptoms. So that's one of the reasons why what we found is two days before a person comes down with symptoms, or even before they test positive, they're infective. They can transmit the infection, but their viral load may not be high enough to turn a test positive or make them sick. And whether you get sick because of a higher load, uh, people who do get more sick tend to have a higher load. But it's it's not only that. There's a lot of factors that go into that. 
All right. Thanks for the question, caller. All right. Thanks. Bye. Oops. All right. The lines are open now. 895-2448. Go ahead and call back those of you who are on the line. Um, So viral load is just how much of the virus is present in your body. Yeah. But is it true that if you are exposed and kind of have more of the virus kind of, you know, shared with you that you get sicker? That you have a higher viral load for viral infection. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. If you're driving around in a cab, closed windows, and the atmosphere is filled with these viruses, you'll get a higher uh, injection of those of those into your system, and they will grow at whatever pace, and it'll go up, you know, a bit faster. All right, let's take our next call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, thank you. This is kind of related. If you are exposed at say 10 o'clock in the morning and go in at 2 o'clock in the afternoon for a test, will it show that quickly? I can't tell you that. That's a very specific question, and I can't tell you. It depends on how much you're exposed to and how quickly it's multiplied. That sounds like a pretty short time to develop a load that will that will show in, uh, in, uh, in most people, in, for most tests. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate you doing the program, and thank you, Alicia. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. If you have an autoimmune disorder, would you recommend, I have it, um, to an 84-year-old, a um, flu shot? And second question is, has there been, there's some evidence about loss of hair as a result of having COVID-19? I'll take my answer on the air. Some evidence about Thank you. loss of hair. So if you have an autoimmune disease, that is an immune deficiency. Uh, actually, it's a hyperimmune system, but it's, an, it's a, um, but it's a malfunctioning immune system. And so you'd be at higher risk for developing uh, the COVID. Uh, but we do recommend people get flu vaccines if you have an autoimmune uh, disease. It's good to talk to your primary care doctor about when, because it also depends on what medicines you might be on for the autoimmune disease. Oh, there was another question. I'm sorry, I lost that. Yeah, it's about hair falling out uh, from hair falling from COVID. out. I saw that. Hair on falling out is one of the many things that can happen from stress to you know, and it's one of the things I have not seen it listed as a specific COVID symptom. I wouldn't be surprised if as Time goes on because it does get listed, or if it's listed, then I'll figure it out. Right? How but would I you even heard separate the stress hair falling out from the COVID Certainly hair falling out? Yeah, any illness. Sure. Right. Okay. Let's take our next call. Good afternoon, caller. You are live on the air. Yeah. Good afternoon. I really appreciate this information. It's really over the top. I'm going to say this real quickly so you can get the next caller. Uh, one of the things I'm a stage four thyroid cancer survivor, so I wear goggles and gloves and, uh, you know, a mask and try to be real methodical, but and I'm not going political with this. I know better than that in these times, but, you know, because there hasn't been a lot of education from the federal government, I see people wearing gators that are serving food in stores. I won't say which one, but they emit droplets. Uh, and, you know, the N95, of course, is, is one of the best ones. And then the surgical masks are pretty good. If you can blow in and out and the, the mass moves with your suction and exhalation, uh, that's pretty good. 
but there's just a lack of education about which masks are good, and the bandanas are just near worthless. And I've seen people putting their T-shirt up over their face in Safeway in Fort Bragg, and, and uh, I wonder if uh, local uh, health department people could step in where the federal government is not educating people, and sometimes the states go a lax in it and step in and start educating people on at least what masks are good and what aren't, because just faking it's not going to work during this. And that's all I had to say is if there's anybody listening that can say something, because I'm just kind of a nobody guy. Well, I'm a speck of sand on the beach, a limo driver, but I, um, I can tell you that some people are doing it right and some aren't. And it can get in your eyes, too. That's all I'm going to say. Maybe this gentleman that knows more than I do can speak to that. All right. Appreciate the call, caller. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you guys very much. You're always just awesome. Thank you. Thank you. You're not a nobody. You're an important person with a lot of great observations. Let me just try and give a little bit of history. You went back a year ago. Nobody's wearing any masks. Nobody's wearing any goggles or any face masks or anything. We didn't know anything about COVID. So the first things that we were concerned about is how is it passed? And certainly it is passed uh, through aerosol and uh, droplet transmission. And it's the larger droplet transmissions that even a gator will, will, uh, will stop. Not 100%, but a little bit. And so it's better than nothing. It's not as good as some of the other masks. The cloth masks um, that are made of a good tightly woven cotton are better. And if they're multi-layered or they have a, another filtration inside the mask, that's even better. The medical masks, uh, uh, those light blue ones that have ties behind them that doctors wear when they go into surgery are even better. Uh, and the N95 masks that you described that uh, go in and out when you're breathing, especially if it's fitted, those are even better to, to control the source of the infection. We got away and, and advised not using the medical masking early on in the course of this disease because we were so afraid that people who were first responders uh, and uh, people in the hospitals would not have enough. And indeed, it took a little while to catch up with that. And now I think there, there are plenty of masks. Well, I shouldn't say plenty, but there are more masks around. And you can get your hands on some uh, medical-grade masks and even N95 masks for the public. But when the uh, amount of disease is spreading, as it is in some of the states in, our, in the Midwest, uh, that uh, a personal protective equipment is in short supply and it can cause, uh, can be very, cause a lot of havoc. So it's not nothing if someone's wearing a gaiter. It's not nothing if someone's breathing through their you know, T-shirt. But it ain't the best thing that we know of now. So it's good to push uh, to, to do better and better for all of us in all situations. Is there enforcement? We can do more education. I think that's a good, a good, uh, a good recommendation. But um, you know, we don't have the personnel uh, or the or the rights necessarily to control exactly what everybody is doing, and so it's a balancing act. And what we try and do is what you were just doing: talk about it, educate people, convince them that it's an important public health um, uh, measure. And then the really nice thing about the cloth face, facial coverings is that there's a whole crew of mad sewers in our county who have have sewn 
thousands of these things and they're beautiful. They just yeah. can't, I mean, uh, that's just phenomenal. The artists in our community. It's a, um, it's a new, uh, it's a new part of our outfits. Mendocino mask makers. Well, we have uh, more calls. Can we take one more or do you want, do you need to get going? Okay. With me. Okay. We'll take one more call. Good afternoon, caller. That's you. You're live on the air. Hi. Uh, I, I just tuned in uh, a few minutes ago, but I did hear a mention about flu shots. And so my question is uh, that uh, the last time I checked, last week basically with my pharmacy, was that they did not have and apparently had never gotten the uh, what they call the high-dose uh, flu shots that are uh, recommended for seniors. So uh, my question for the doctor is, are you aware of any, you know, on a big scale nationwide or something, a shortage of this kind of material? And uh, the other question is, would it be of any help to get a couple of the low-dose shots instead, maybe spaced out a certain amount of time, even if you had to pay for one of them out of pocket? But um you know what the situation with with flu shots that's my question thank you bye-bye that's a good question number one get them it's the first part of my answer get it um there has been a shortage certainly in, in mendocino county for getting high dose uh, vaccines they haven't been coming through the public health department the high dose vaccines are in short supply um we had a discussion among uh, the clinics today uh, around this question of getting booster shots or doubling the dose of a single shot. Um, and there isn't, there aren't great studies out for that. So some people, and, and I, I can tell you this also, that although there is uh, some improved uh, immunogenicity from the higher dose uh, flu vaccines, uh, it's not a huge difference. It's recommended but, uh, but it's not a huge difference. So if there's a shortage of the uh, high-dose vaccines, I wouldn't put off getting the regular vaccine. It's going to protect you. Okay, so instead of high-dose, we might call it moderately more, a little bit more of a dose? Well, it can be very high-dose, but it doesn't necessarily create more immunity. Got it. And that's, you know, they ha- the drug companies had to prove that it did produce more immunity, and, and the numbers were not outstanding. But it was enough for the FDA to say, okay, you can label this high dose. Another one of those healthcare situations where more does not necessarily mean better. It means more money. It, ooh. More money does not necessarily mean better in our healthcare system either. Definitely not. So, all right. Well, that brings us to the end. It's 3.35. I appreciate you um, staying on for five more minutes since I had some trouble getting on the air with you for the first five minutes of the show. Thank you for for that. Uh, And I will just reintroduce you. We've been talking with our public health officer, Dr. Andy Corin, and Becky Emery, who works for the DOC. She's the DOC manager, so she's um, making sure that all the contact tracing and case investigation is happening and keeping track of all of the numbers here. And we're really privileged to have both of you here on KZYX every week. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with our listeners. Thank you for having us. Have a good weekend and stay sane. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye. And yes, this is KZYX and KZYZ. You are listening to our Friday coronavirus coverage. Uh, That was, as I said, our public health officer, 
I'm Alicia Bales, and I want to thank you for listening and just give you a little bit of a heads up on what might be happening for the rest of the day. Of course, we are on the edge of our seats waiting for uh, results of the presidential election. It's still election day. started Tuesday, and it's Friday, and uh, it's still election day. We haven't had a result yet. Uh, but we will be bringing you a special coverage if it happens. Uh, there is some talk of... Uh, Joe Biden, Vice President Biden, making a, a speech tonight, uh, and I am definitely monitoring our feed to make sure that we will bring that to you when that happens. Uh, and any other special coverage, for instance, if there's a call made in the presidential race, we'll, we'll definitely bring that to you. Uh, for now, we're going to be uh, listening to the rest of the TED Radio Hour in progress. At 4 o'clock, it'll be Democracy Now! And at 5, of course, All Things Considered from NPR News. At 6 o'clock, there will be special live coverage of the election. Um, the NPR special coverage is going to continue for the, the 6 to 7 o'clock hour. And then after that, barring any preemptions for political speeches, it'll be the sports phone. Uh, and then at 8 o'clock, get on up with Kathy Rippey. So a uh, great afternoon and evening of community programming here on KZYX. We're very, very glad you're with us. And I just want to mention one more thing, and that is that we are in the midst of our quiet drive here at KZYX. This is a new pandemic innovation that we've come up with um, because we can't do our big sort of raucous pledge drives as we have in the past because they involve lots of people coming here and answering phones and volunteering and uh, so but we do need to pay the bills we need to continue to fundraise this is a community radio station supported by you and mostly supported by you um, you're a huge part of the reason that we can continue to broadcast your generosity your donations and your memberships are what keep us going here uh, and so we're in the middle of that quiet drive, which means that every once in a while we come on and, and tell you that we're fundraising, but we don't do that big sort of epic uh, party that we that we usually do. Uh, today, as of today, Friday, uh, November 6th, our quiet drive total is $53,523. That is from 562 donations. So incredibly gratifying. Thank you so much for responding to the call uh, when we have been asking uh, for your support. We are going to finish up our fundraising efforts with a flash drive, so a short, sweet pledge drive, uh, and it will begin on on Wednesday the 11th and go through Sunday, um, and that is going to be our way to just kind of boost ourselves up and over our goal, and our, our fundraising goal this year is $120,000 uh, with where we are now Friday the 6th at $53,523, we're almost halfway there. We'd really love to get to 60000 before the flash drive begins on Wednesday. So keep those calls and memberships and donations coming. There are thank you gifts uh, on the website. Uh, you can check that out at kzyx.org. When you go and press the red donate button on our homepage, there's a whole list of, of thank you gifts, including a new organic cotton uh, facial covering, a, a, a COVID mask there with a KZYX logo, and um, KZYX wool socks. There are one of the thank you gifts. Those are my two favorite ones right now. Um, but starting on Wednesday, we'll be having our flash drive. It'll be just a few days to reach our fall fundraising goal of $120,000. It's going to wrap up our quiet drive and our fundraising efforts uh, for the year, hopefully. Um, quiet drive has been really successful so far, and uh, we want to be able to continue on with the this quiet drive and flash drive model. It's, it seems a lot more um, streamlined, a lot less agonizing to, to just come and ask you questions quietly and then do 
a little four or five day pitch. So you can help us reach our goals by donating now, by going to the website, www.kzyx.org, uh, giving us a call here in the, st- in the station at 895-2324. That's our office line. You can call us during business hours at 895-2324 and press the um, extension 5 and that'll take you to our membership department. Uh, or you can send a check if that's your preferred method. Um, it's P.O. Box 1 in Philo, California, 95466. That's KZYX at P.O. Box 1 in Philo, P-H-I-L-O, California, 95466. So that's about what I've got for you today. Until we get some news in the presidential election, I'm going to sit tight and monitor the the uh, the news so that I can bring it to you as quickly as uh, as it comes out. And in the meantime... We're going to go back to TED Radio Hour in progress, followed by Democracy Now! Thank you all so much for another uh, wonderful Friday afternoon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your amazing questions. And I'll be back with you with Dr. Drew Colfax at 3 o'clock on Monday for the local coronavirus update. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.